Hello, my lovelies. Welcome to the All Brown Everything podcast, presented by Grant Magazine. My name is Dylan Dela Cruz Diaz, editor in chief of Grant Magazine. Hey, y'all. I'm Sophia Date, design editor of Grant Magazine, and we're excited to introduce you to our show. For some background about us, I'm Pacific Islander in Japanese, and I'm half Indian, and I don't talk about the white half. Before we get into the show, we want to preface with this. The opinions presented on our podcast are ours at the time of recording, and they are subject to change. That being said, if you have a different perspective or opinion you wish to share, we invite any of our listeners to discuss these topics with us. Shoot us a DM at Grant Magazine on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is All Brown Everything. I'm Dylan. This is Sophia. So- talk, oh. talk, talk. <laughs> I'm Sophia. Sophia, how are you doing today? You know, Dylan, I'm doing pretty good. It's very nice outside. How are you? I am just peachy. Thank you for asking. I'm so um, glad to hear that. Yeah, you know, we've been wanting to do this podcast for almost two years now, and uh, yeah. I'm just super excited that it actually came to fruition. Oh my god, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so, this episode, our first episode, um, it's actually the inspiration for starting a podcast in the first place, and that's going to be the model minority myth. Um, Sophia, yes, ma'am. What is our working definition for model minority myth in this episode? A societally ingrained stereotype in which Asian Americans are depicted as inherently smart, hardworking, high achieving, and wealthy people who achieve success due to a lack of racial prejudice against them. Right now, you know, you don't hear much about the model minority myth. Um, You know, that's of course due to the alleged lack of racism or, you know, prejudice. Um, Asians yeah. experience in the world but you know a big part of the model minority myth is that it not only affects Asian Americans but it also affects other people of color uh, particularly mm-hmm. black people Sophia yep. give us a rundown basically the United States has a very deep history of finding any and every way they can to oppress black people and when Asian Americans started immigrating they needed yet another way to sort of pit them against black people it was also partially to do with world war ii which you can read in our historical description below they wanted to portray asian americans as these immigrants who came to the country and worked way harder than black people and because they worked harder they were some that's why they were more successful which first of all isn't true because this idea of asian wealth only exists because of the model minority myth and second of all it ends up putting down black people and placing every single ounce of their struggles onto them and not accounting for the systemic racism in the country and it kind of pits those two groups against each other and it's very dangerous hold on let's pause on that okay Okay. so uh just recently actually sophia i sent you a a graph on instagram yeah and and it addressed the racial wealth gap so i think what you said there was interesting i think there definitely is some truth to working hard yeah, as immigrants, um, you yeah. know, a lot of these, you know, so that graph to explain it, it showed Asian Americans as the as the highest income racial <laughs> group, um, mm-hmm. and blacks is the lowest. So the Asians, it said, from about nineteen eighty to the present, um, have been on a steady incline, wealth wise, mm-hmm. where black people have kind of plateaued at the you know very bottom. And I thought that was interesting, you know, because, you know, we had a big wave of immigrants in the mid-1900s, and, you know, that's really when it started. Asian. Yeah, that's that's when yeah. we had a lot of 
um, you know, Asian people come to America and start working. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny that the graph only starts after that happened, where that wealth gap yeah. was smaller. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, again, the, the model minority myth at work. Yeah. And a graph showing data can't account for the societal pressure to succeed, which is, again, the effects of the model minority myth is this deeply ingrained thought in Asian Americans as well that you must achieve wealth. And so it's not simply because we are just naturally more hardworking. It also has to do with the fact that there was and is such a intense pressure from society, especially like Western society, to be rich and be successful. You know, I, I don't even know if I'd go as far to say it's Western society. I think it's definitely mm-hmm. a family That's true. enforced yeah. thing. Like, you know, this mm-hmm. wealth is generational wealth passed down from generations of hardworking immigrants, right? Yeah. So I don't know if it's so much Western as it is, you know, familial pressure to mm-hmm. carry on, you know, like the family name, you know, it's like mm-hmm. honor and whatever. Like, yeah, that's a big thing, you know. Um, and honestly, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, same goes with all these positive stereotypes about the about Asians in the model minority myth, you know, being smart good at math hardworking, blah 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 if it applies to you take it in stride you know what i yeah. mean just like well, of course why it's... not why not just and em- like embrace that and run with it and i don't know like live up to it in a way i do yes i think that to a certain degree a level of stress is like normal and a pressure to succeed is healthy to a degree but I think it can complicate things when it's just kind of this innate like understanding that people have about Asian Americans and that Asian Americans have about themselves that they have to be book smart and that they have to be rich in order to be like successful. Because I also want to like rephrase when I say successful, I'm talking specifically about being wealthy. I think that there are probably lots of people who are who would consider themselves successful but maybe aren't successful in a monetary sense but they still you know are happy and living good lives so i don't i think that putting that kind of pressure on kids at such a young age creates this idea that money is the only form of success and it's kind of all you should be striving for i agree and disagree money is great it's going to make your life a heck of a lot easier well, if you course. have it to your disposal <laughs> Um, you know, my grandpa is a veterinarian and he's doing pretty well. And as a kid, I was like encouraged to go into the med- medical field, you know, yeah. to, con- to like to follow his footsteps, to, you know, have the same opportunities that he had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I kind of, you know, I, li- I like animals and stuff. I like, grew up when I go to his house, he'd have like 11 dogs at one time just because you know, <laughs> he'd like take care of them. And, you know, it was yeah. cool, but I didn't necessarily see that as my career path because i was kind of forced into it or forced into just like considering it yeah um and you know i i took a when i moved away from saipan i i'm from saipan uh by the way (laughs) it's a small island near guam if you don't know where guam is i don't know how to help you just look it up (laughs) anyway i uh when i moved away to oregon I was five, so I just kind of honestly grew away from that, from Saipan. 
um, and I just kind of started exploring other things. Middle school, I volunteered the summer camp. I realized I really liked working with kids, like how like building a relationship with the people I work with. And now I'm kind of wanting to go back into the medical field and be a pediatrician because <laughs> of that connection you build with your patients. So, you know, that <laughs> pressure is planting that seed in your mind. It can go one of two ways. It can mm-hmm. go, it can really push you away, but it can also guide you, right? I definitely see the harm in having only like two ways that it can go, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I agree and disagree with effectiveness of familial pressure to Mm -hmm. succeed financially and you know maybe sacrificing the things you would like to do in order to fulfill that career i think i do understand like i said before i do understand the importance of some stress i mean there's a reason just naturally why our brains get stressed about things of course it's healthy to a degree to have ambition and to want to go somewhere But statistically, Asian American kids are so much more heavily mentally affected than a lot of other children, just like disproportionately. Based on data from an MHA screening, Asian Americans are least likely to have a history of diagnosis, but 57% of them who took a mental health screening were like diagnosed as moderately to severely depressed. They're also three times less likely to seek mental health services than any other American, which is a little disconcerting to think about, especially when you think about it in regards of being an adolescent, having these ideals pushed onto you. I think that it can, I mean, it can lead to severe mental illness and depression is obviously, it's not a fun time. It's not, um... It's not a glamorous thing. It's not a reflection of someone being really hardworking. It's a reflection of someone being really heavily pressured for a lot of their life. And I think that if we want to pretend like model minority myth is a positive thing, it completely disregards the negative effects of it. So I think Mm -hmm. it's more parenting and the environment at home. I can speak for Japanese people. You don't talk about that stuff. You don't talk about emotions. You don't talk about how you're feeling. You just suck it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's Japan now. I don't know because Saipan, long story short, Japan colonized Saipan, forced us to speak Japanese and to adopt their culture, and a lot of that is still alive today. So that's why I'm saying that, okay? So, yeah, it, it's very much mind over matter needs before wants work before you play right it's yeah it's not you don't really have time to or you don't you don't have the time or the space at home to talk about feelings or something Mm -hmm. like that like i don't have that type of relationship with my parents i'm not saying it's a good thing i'm not saying it's a bad thing either (laughs) i'm just saying it's a it's how it is i have also definitely seen that a lot in the way my dad um handles his feelings i think my dad's the indian one he always talks about compartmentalizing i understand the concept compartmentalizing but the way he talks about it is almost like a don't ever let them out like your emotions just put them into different boxes in your head and i think it's an interesting way to process things because i think he's you know he's done pretty well for himself and he's relatively happy as far as i know 
I think that's an interesting way to look at emotions and an interesting way to think about like just processing your feelings of just putting them in little boxes and storing them away. I don't I kind of do that, but I don't. If I'm if I have a project or I'm focused on something, I will put everything aside until I finish it. Right? And I don't I don't like whatever I deal with or I just put it aside, finish it, and then I'll take some time and reflect, introspect with compartmentalizing. I don't know if I I, I don't like completely storing them away forever. That's unproductive. Yeah. Well, it's it, it just it may be, it may fix right now, but long term you're yeah. gonna be screwed. I think that is the effect of ignoring your emotions. It's not that it's unhealthy all the time because I think of course there is a time and place for emotions, and so of course there are times when you know maybe you need to put it aside and deal with it later, but you do have to deal with it at some point. And I understand what you're saying about being like a familial thing and a cultural thing, and I guess the way that I think it is different being an Asian American, is that most, obviously not all, but a lot of Asian countries are pretty homogeneous. And so there's not a lot of comparison as far as cultural norms go versus, like, obviously there is between countries, but like, just like within the country, there's not a lot of comparison. So when you are an Asian American, it's like you kind of have a contrast of those cultural norms alongside like American like western norms and I I personally feel like that probably contributes to the pressure societally because there's so many more people to like from different backgrounds to compare yourself to and put yourself up against let's talk about COVID-19 and let's what the freak happened to Asians at the beginning, huh? Huh? Oh, you know, so much. And it's funny because no one wants to talk about it now. It's you not guys funny. aren't ready for that conversation. <laughs> Y'all aren't ready for that. We didn't talk about that. But we're going to right now. Okay. Yeah, listen. At the beginning of not even quarantine yet. This is before quarantine. This is before the world This fell. was like January. Yeah, this is right at the beginning of 2020. Asians experienced some of the most blatant racism I have ever seen. Yeah. Most of which went unnoticed and uncovered by the media. It was also violent. Like, of course, not every single case was violent, but there were a lot of people like just going up and attacking Asian Americans in the street. Um, there was a PBS story about a woman who just went up to an Asian man in the grocery store and just started coughing on him, which is obviously very rude. And this was during quarantine, so people were like not wanting to be near other people. And yeah, you don't see like these stories, a few of them existed, but honestly, when I was looking for stories so that I could give examples, it was so hard to find news stories, and it was a lot easier to find like videos of things that people had filmed. It is here where we run into the model minority myth yet again. If you recall, our working <laughs> definition was there is no racial prejudice against Asian Americans due to their um, success in this country. Um, mm -hmm. As you can tell, you know, you might not have seen it, but you can Google it, right? Asian Americans at the start of COVID were, they, they experienced hate crimes, man. 
it was blatant. It was in broad daylight. And oftentimes, people wouldn't stop it. They would either not do anything or join in, right? Because mm-hmm. a virus, which originated on the other side of the world, apparently, if you appear Asian, you automatically have the disease. So, not only, according to society, do we automatically uh, have money, we also are vectors in the transmission Mm -hmm. of pathogens without, you know, ever coming into contact or traveling (laughs) over to ground zero of the virus. So, that was just interesting to see um, how, you know, as soon as there was a panic, all of this woke racial mindfulness went out of the window and it was just everyone against the asians and i think we as a society have really dangerously normalized racism against asians which probably contributes to why people didn't really stop this kind of stuff and why it wasn't super heavily publicized because it's almost as if we don't see asians as people of color which is very weird because the definition of a person of color is literally anyone who's not white. And last time I checked, Asians were not white. And that's also just completely erasing any Asian that does not have super pale skin, which is, by the way, not all of them. You talk about society perpetuating this. Asians don't deal with racism, right? And that society Mm -hmm. is reinforcing that on a daily basis. Let's talk about one of the world leaders, if not the leader of the free world, Donald J. Trump. DJ, DJ Trump. My favorite man, who in actual press conferences and briefings referred to it multiple times as the Chinese virus. He also referred to it as the Kung Flu during his rally in Tulsa. That last one, um, I'll give it to him. That is freaking hilarious. I won't. Okay. Whoever wrote that, whoever came up with that Kung Flu. Oh, yeah, that's true. There's no way he was smart enough to come up with that on his own. Okay, look, at least it's accurate. You know what? Kung flu. At least it's accurate. It's China, and it's not Karate Kid, like Jaden Smith's movie. (laughs) That took place in China. My favorite Asian. Okay. Donald Trump. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, no one's fond of him, or no one's fond of his personality, or his public speaking ability. (laughs) And he has not... Uh, changed any minds with this kung flu or chinese virus yeah so you know it's not kung flu it's whatever it's 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 meant to be a joke chinese virus that okay it originated in china but then you have chinese people right if you can use that term chinese virus then it kind of goes hand in hand with chinese people um according to cbs over Mm. 2000 hate crimes have occurred against asians in the three month span from march to june and only and uh, Asians only make up five point nine percent of the population. Yep. Yeah, two thousand hate crimes. When you have someone who is literally our leader enforcing this idea that all Chinese people or just any East Asian is responsible for this virus, you enforce this idea that it is okay or somehow right to attack asian americans instagram home of the <laughs> progressive or not progressive performative activists my um, favorite 
the keyboard warriors typing away, fighting the system <laughs> through their phones. The true heroes of the progressive world, in my opinion. Uh, I was surfing the web, uh, or I guess surfing the gram the other day, and I came across this video uh, posted by my good friend, uh, and, and this is what the video was on. This is the title, okay? From now this news, mind you, a very popular um, news source, Asian Americans can help fight anti-black racism. Yeah, I mean, I think initially I don't see anything wrong with the title. Let's see what this video has to say. So I've, I've pulled a few quotes that I thought were interesting. The first one, Asian Americans are realizing, hey, I've been complicit and I'm not going to be complicit anymore sophia have you ever um had that revelation where you were complicit in uh the oppression of black people i mean just by virtue of being asian i can't say i personally have and i also think that anyone can be complicit next quote regardless of what you label yourself the call is for asian americans to stand in solidarity with the black community sophia do you mm-hmm. feel responsible for uh, the oppression of black people? No, but I think that doesn't mean that I don't still have a responsibility to stand with and support people who are suffering at the hands of systemic racism. Do you think it is only Asians' responsibility? No, of course not. Of course not. It is everyone's responsibility to fight racism, is it not? It is. Okay. I... That's, agree with that. that's a big problem I had with this video. This lady didn't catch her name, but <laughs> she is uh, she's saying essentially Asian Americans are responsible. I guess they're the, they're the sole defense black people have against racism, which <laughs> huh, that's interesting. Next quote. We need to be able to realize that we are not the model minority. Yes, I agree with that. I agree We're too. We're not. Okay. But then, but then she says... Then she says, Our privileges <laughs> and our comforts have kind of falsely protected us. Yeah, it's kind of, isn't it? It's wrong. It's not. What privileges do Asians inherently have by virtue of being Asian that is not granted to any other minority or white person? Hmm. Let's think. Let's yeah. reflect. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm thinking. I'm th- thinking. Hmm. Is it... No, it's not that one. Is it um, perhaps? Oh no, uh, I don't think so. Uh, no, uh, maybe it's nothing. Ah, uh, it's nothing. It's nothing. she. I agree with having a problem with this because it completely contradicts what she said about being able to realize we are not the model minority. Because when you imply that we somehow have an inherent privilege by being Asian, it enforces the model minority myth. You idiot. No, we don't use those kind of words. Yeah, fool. This is is a family-friendly podcast. Asian Americans have a responsibility to actively engage in dismantling anti-blackness. Okay, again, is it not everyone's responsibility? A uh, term she keeps using throughout the video is our status, our Mm -hmm. wealth our place in society. Not a minority myth. 
Okay. And then I have a few paraphrasings. Paraphrases. Paraphrases. In order to dismantle something, we must learn history. Hmm. Let's learn history, by all means. So, Sophia. History lesson, real quick. I have a question for you. In your nearly one and a half decades of schooling, have you learned much about Asian history? All I've learned is that China is communism. China is bad. No China. So what I learned is, you know, I I, I did also hear that, but I also learned um, uh, about them, uh, Japanese people attacking Pearl Harbor. Hmm. And then we went and dropped a bomb on Hiroshima. How do they say it? I, I think they say Nagasaki correctly. So. Back to the paraphrase, is in order to dismantle something, we must learn history. Learning history. That's interesting. Okay. We both haven't learned much about Asian history, you know? And mm-hmm. in my world history class freshman year, I didn't learn. The, the only thing close to Asia was the Middle East. That's mm-hmm. the only, that's as far Asian history as I got. Now, yeah. When we talk about the Pacific Islands, which are also included in the term Asia. Nada. Wow, Nothing. The only thing I would know is Hawaii and Pearl Harbor. And you know what's funny is that um, they never actually tell us what happened to Hawaii. Which is interesting. Very interesting. Didn't like Jennifer Lawrence or something like go and deface a... She went and like rubbed her butt on a like sacred disgusting. rock. Disgusting. No one yeah. want, wants that. Just like fun little quick fact: Dude, the stay off American the soldiers side. like locked the Hawaiian queen in a room and like threatened her life until she gave them her country. But you're not ready for that conversation. Y'all ain't ready for that. Sorry. And this 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 one I have this one I have uh, this last little talking point of hers. It's not our right to solicit education. But it's also not black people's responsibility to teach anti-racism. I disagree. Okay. Here's why. Tell me why. Newsflash, people of color. It is, always has been, and always will be your responsibility to educate others. You're brown. It's our... I guess it is our responsibility. (laughs) To not engage with those around you is to be ignorant. And to use this lady's word, complicit in racial issues of today. Mm-hmm. So, as a person of color, if I hear something racist or a misunderstanding about the islands, I'm not just going to be, oh, that's messed up. But I'm not going to do it because it's not my responsibility. Of course not. No, I'm going to be like, hey, you ignorant person. <laughs> yeah. Here, this that's that's wrong to say, and here's why. Okay, mm-hmm. to not do that when you need to is to not help the solution. It's you're not driving yeah. forward society by ignoring issues by not talking about them. You're holding it back. I actually I do understand what you're saying. I don't like fully disagree. Um. But I do want to, like, emphasize 
that I'm sure there is a degree to which you can no longer educate someone. Um, I've been in quite a handful of conversations, especially recently, where when I go into it, the people I am talking to are, are, are already very convinced of their own opinions and are not willing to engage. And I think that in situations like that, um, especially for people of color, um, I think that in those kinds of situations, it is justified and understandable to step back and not take responsibility for that situation just because they are not going to listen. Um, I have been in conversations where I've tried to supply people with facts and statistics like they ask, and then they tell me I'm an emotional woman and don't want to talk to me anymore. And I think if someone is willing to engage in a dialogue, then yes, definitely try to educate them. But if they really are so adamant that they do not want to hear what you have to say, I don't think that that I don't think it's worth it. Honestly, it's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. It's not going to get anywhere. And they have to get to a place in their own head where they are ready to at least hear what other people have to say before they can be educated. I guess that's where we diverge. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you get, if you leave, if you make it someone else's responsibility, odds are they will just relish in their ignorance and never change. That's fair. But then what do you do if they really genuinely refuse to listen? Like, what what do you do with someone who does not want to hear anyone else's opinion? I, I don't know. But the point is you attempt to engage in that dialogue. Yeah. And you don't just walk away. That's, that's I understand that. I'm standing I mean, yeah. If I, I... I get that. And I think that... I guess another thing I want to point out is that, like you said, of course, if you see something racist, it's like you have a responsibility to say something. But I think that goes for literally everyone, like, including white people and, like, white just, passing people. Just, just don't. Okay, white passing people are not white people, okay? They're yeah, but they still benefit from being white passing. Eh, if you go to Saipan, you're going to be given a hard time because you're white. Okay, okay it doesn't I'm matter. talking about in America. Um, At the end of the video, there are some stats that play with some ominous music. <laughs> that that attempt to drive home this um of of why Asians owe it to the black community to fight for them, which I think is a flawed ideology anyway. I don't think anyone, even if you're white, is obligated mm-hmm. to subscribe to an ideology you disagree with. I do think it is your responsibility as a moral human being to learn and educate yourself about the issues you, this group of people is fighting for. If you agree with it, join them by all means. If you don't, you don't have to. I just think that the pressure to subscribe to these certain ideologies is harmful and that it doesn't mm-hmm. allow for free thinking. And if you don't agree with them, then you're painted as a racist or a bigot or whatever. I, I don't think they sh- these ideas should be stopped. I think with this BLM thing, I think... It's very powerful what's happening, but I don't like how it's being shoved down everyone's throat that if you aren't, if you're not with us, you're against us. And mm-hmm. it's even as simple as kneeling on the flat or kneeling during the anthem, right? John, Jonathan Isaac, he's a black NBA player. He stood during the national anthem and he did not wear Black Lives Matter on his jersey. In a post-game interview, this reporter asked him, so, you didn't kneel during the anthem, but you also didn't wear Black Lives Matter on your shirt. So, 
do Black Lives Matter? This reporter asked a black player if Black Lives Matter. See, I think there's something fundamentally wrong with asking that. And not only is that wrong, I don't think there's a correct way to support a cause. There is no one way where if you don't do this thing you're against us mm-hmm. that's so yeah. it, it it like how narrow-minded do you want to get so wait let me I finish let me okay, finish there is no there's nothing inherently wrong with standing during the anthem and also saying there is systemic racism in the country it does not matter which way you choose to support the movement if you choose to support it at all I agree with what you're saying, that there isn't a right way to protest and be supportive. Um, I think it would be close-minded to tell someone, especially when we're in a pandemic, that if you don't protest, you're racist or something extreme like that because it doesn't account for people's lives and what they're comfortable with and things like that. However, I just wanted to comment on something you said about it being fundamentally wrong to ask a black man if he believes that black lives matter. And obviously, I can't speak for black people in the black community however internalized racism exists and people of color can be racist to each other i'm not saying that that's what this guy is i'm not saying that at all i don't know anything about him i'm just saying that i don't think you can dismiss that idea and dismiss the idea that a black person might not believe that black lives matter or might not believe in the movement because there are definitely black people and other people of color who believe that because that like internalized racism exists and person of color can be racist and there might be people who disagree with me on that but i will stand by that statement that a person of color can be racist if you don't support black lives matter you're racist not necessarily i think if you don't fundamentally agree with the concept that black lives do matter i'm not talking about the movement i'm not talking about the company i'm talking about just that fundamental statement that black lives do matter then yes probably some racism in there sophia if Mm -hmm. there were was an asian revolution where asian lives mattered okay Mm -hmm. and you didn't say uh sit cross-legged during the national anthem Mm -hmm. do you as an asian american does that mean because you don't want to sit like that during the national anthem does that make you a racist does that Does that automatically saying. subject you to being even asked That's if not what I was Asian saying. if Asian lives matter as being as an Asian American? I just don't even think as a reporter, as a journalist, you can ever ask that question. Do black yeah, lives not... matter to a black person? Are you like what are you trying to get at? Like what do you what do you want them to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting interesting question to ask in an interview because it's not like he's going to say no. Like <laughs> um but I wasn't saying that if you don't, like, kneel or something during the national anthem that you're inherently racist. It's not what I was saying. I already acknowledged that there are different ways to protest for everyone. Back to the video. Final thoughts. This person who made this video. Are Asians white? Or are we people of color? Yeah. Like, she did, she debunked the model minority myth. She explained the areas in which it's false or the areas which make it false, but she still talks about Asians like we have inherent privileges like white people do, or just privileges granted to Asians that no one else gets. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
while while Asians haven't faced the same type of oppression as Black mm-hmm. Americans, like that doesn't mean they haven't faced oppression or racism at all. Yeah. Right? Like I I I don't agree with this comparison of who's more oppressed because they get the microphone, they get to speak. Well, and I think that an Asian person can speak on Asian issues and a black person can speak on black issues and it's not right to compare the two in order to discredit the other. Like like you said, of course, the oppression Asian Americans have faced, it's not the same as the oppression that black Americans have faced, but it still happened and this shouldn't be like, we should be standing together. This shouldn't be another thing used to divide us. The problem I had with the video, it was like she just kept contradicting herself like she wanted us to be allies which yeah i agree with that but then compare basically talked about asian americans like they were white and it's not the same thing my biggest issue with this video this lady says asians only need to fight for black issues asians need to fight for our own there were Mm -hmm. at the beginning of covid no one talked about us we got to do that that's our responsibility not to anyone else, to ourselves. But more, first what? and foremost, like, most importantly, we need to speak up, period. Asians are way too quiet, way too submissive. <laughs> and I know that's a cultural thing, but that we true. do not speak up about issues that are important. Whether yeah. it be about us, whether it be about black people, whatever. Whether it be about the environment. Asians don't have the voice. And you know, we're, we account for like 2 billion people, man. Like, we... like we have the numbers. Yeah, someone's just gotta get up in front of the mic. I agree with that. All right, BIPOC. (laughs) BIPOC (laughs) got us into that. BIPOC. BIPOCH. Okay, that's Black Indigenous People of Color. Let's talk about this term. So I I found this uh New York Times article um about this term. It should be the first one if you look it up had some interesting thoughts on it and i took some quotes that i want to talk about just okay kind of thought provoking okay yeah so this is from cynthia frisbee professor of journalism i think the major purpose of the bipoc term was for including voices that hadn't originally been heard that they wanted to include in the narrative darker skin blacks and indigenous groups so that they could make sure that all the skin shades are being represented what are your thoughts? I think people of color is already so such a general term that groups us all together. So I think it's interesting that it implies that people weren't being included and then proceeds to only include two. Like, I think it's interesting that you would say that narratives aren't being included in the term people of color, which, you know, I... Not going to comment on that. That's not my whatever. But that then the solution is to group everyone, except for black and indigenous people, still in the people of color. An interesting quote that I actually fully agree with, another person in the article named Sylvia Oboe said, take the time to say black, Latinx, and Asian. Say our names. Take the time to learn. Show me that you know the difference. And I fully agree with that. And so I guess that's why the term BIPOC as a solution to that kind of confuses me because it isn't taking the time to say everyone's name. Um, and I also think that it's really not that difficult to just say Black, Latinx, Asian. 
just say people of color. I don't understand. It's yeah, better I that, think it... you know, we're all in it together than divided groups. Yeah, I, I understand the sentiment. I do get that, um, obviously, historically, black and indigenous people are just on, like, an objective term, the most systemically oppressed in the country. But I think it's harmful to divide them as something other than the rest of people of color because like i was saying before as people of color we all face some form of oppression and of course some are definitely way more severe than others but it should be a uniting thing and not a divisive like term you know does that make sense yeah um the thing i had a problem with with that quote Mm mm-hmm they could make sure that all the skin shades are being represented. Please, Cynthia. If we want to talk about representation, blacks and indigenous people have never been excluded. And now I'm talking education-wise. Whether they were represented correctly or um, incompletely, Mm -hmm. they were in the history books, they were taught, there were lessons built around them. Now, if we want to talk about Asians and Pacific Islanders, we do not exist. My sister was talking to her coworker. She was like, man, I don't even have, I, don't, I can't think of a single curse word or slur for Pacific Islanders. And her coworker goes, yeah, it's because you guys don't exist. We don't. We're not taught. We're not shown in media. We do not exist. If we're going to talk about representation, please, let's talk about Asians and Pacific Islanders we are the most underrepresented in media. Yeah. I mean, I think I think I understand the sentiment, but I just don't think that this was necessarily like the right solution. Um because I think you can't say that you made a term to represent everyone and then don't represent everyone. Um I do want to say I know we were kind of arguing about this or discussing. Um I I think we also have to consider, at least as far as our education goes, that we do live in Portland. Um, so, yes, we have learned about black history and we've learned about indigenous history. But that can't be said for every single school. Um, and also, like, the degree mm. and what kind of history you're learning about can't be said for, like, the same can't be said for every single school. That may be so, but odds are Asian American. That's not the. I'm not saying Asians history. are represented either. I'm That's not saying not the Asian leading history. Look, it's gonna be black and indigenous wherever you go because this is America. Because it's American history, but Asians are also part of American history. I think we have to acknowledge that. Yes. Quote from Sylvia, Obo Abo Obel. When you blend us all together like this, by just using the term POC, it's erasure. It allows people to get away with not knowing people of color and our separate set of issues that we all face. It allows people to play it safe and not leave anyone out, and it also allows you to not have to do the work. Okay, Sylvia. So tell me, does adding a B and an I and still leaving everybody else in the term POC, is that leaving anyone out? Tell me, Sylvia. All right. Last quote, again from Sylvia, and this, I think, is really the I don't know this is this is the one thing I enjoy, I I agreed with from her the kicker 
stop making decisions for us without us. Yeah. Why are you just removing yourselves <laughs> and leaving everyone else? Is that not also erasure? Like, you don't yeah. get to pick and choose what you call erasure. Yeah. You either we're all in it together or we're all separated. You choose. Okay. Mm-hmm. It can't be halfway in the middle. That's erasure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you can't say, you can't say making decisions for us without us, but not include Asians and Latinx and Pacific Islander people in that us because they are also people of color. If any term out there is too broad, it has to be Asian. Not only does it include Pacific Islanders, we're a whole different color spectrum away from Asians. We're a whole different breed. We're a whole different breed. It literally goes from India to Korea to Philippines in one term. Yeah. If any term is too big, okay, that it needs separation, it's going (laughs) to be Asia. It's going to be Asian, okay? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think... That you can't claim to be against erasure and trying to, like, you know, uplift voices, but then still group every other person of color together. Like, that's not, that's not really a solution to erasure. I get that it's, like, a term and it's something that people use, but I don't really think that actually solves an issue of black and indigenous erasure in media. To wrap up this topic... We set this term forward to the PC gods. Bialpi. <laughs> Bialpi. Indigenous, Asian, Latinx, Pacific Islander. Bialpi. Bialpi. We hope you accept our humble offering. Thank you. There's no erasure if you include everything. Bialpi. 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 We want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to our podcast. As a reminder, our opinions are constantly evolving, changing, adapting, growing. So please share your own thoughts with us at Grant Magazine on Instagram. If you liked our show, be sure to tune in next time. Our next episode is going to cover affirmative action and privilege, and we will have a special guest. Thank you guys so much for listening and have a splendid rest of your day.